0: It's really good to be with you this morning, church. And um, I counted. <laughs> I can't believe I'm getting tearful, man. I don't know why. Um, I I just want to say it is an absolute privilege to be able to preach in this uh, with this community. You know, it's a privilege to be part of you guys. And, and uh, I know Mike's, I hope Mike's going to listen to this. So I thank you, Mike, for the opportunity of being able to preach. Um, I've been I've been I've been kind of I don't know if the word is percolating, but I've been reading through two chronicles. And I feel God's put this word on my heart for some time. But the reason I feel that he's put it on my heart is because I think he's, well, I don't think I know that the Holy Spirit has been pointing at things in my life that need to, need to take, that I need to adjust. And so it's with that heart that I bring this word to you. I think preaching is just, uh, you've heard it said before, right? But I think when we preach, it's what we feel, what I feel the Holy Spirit is saying to me that I need to make adjustments on and I hope that it's of benefit to you guys. So please hear my heart as I bring this word. I think that it's, it's in line with Father's Day and that's kind of why I was excited that I got to get the opportunity to preach on Father's Day because what I want to look at for us is our inheritance predominantly for us this morning as fathers or grandfathers and the importance of us taking hold of that for the sake of the next generation to bring our children into the inheritance that God has for them. Um, so the reason I mentioned 2 Chronicles is I, I, I love the Old Testament. I love the New Testament too. But I think I'm a boy still, a man at heart. I love the battles. I love seeing the enemies of God being slaughtered en masse. And um, the difficulty with 2 Chronicles though is it's a bit of a seesaw. You see good king, bad king, bad king, bad king, good king. Bad King, bad king, bad king. And I felt a couple of years back, I think when Marie and I were still leading 180, like I, I remember as a child thinking, what a load of pelucas. They come through they come through the promised land, they walk through on dry ground, they see the Red Sea parted. And even that generation doesn't walk in the inheritance that God has for them. And I remember, I've always thought that. I thought, man, if I, if I could have walked through on the Red Sea, or walked seen the Red Sea parted, if I could have been fed by quails in the desert, a million people getting meat over years in the desert, man, I would never, I would never fall away from what God's got for me. How would I not take my inheritance? And, and, I, and I really felt God just said to me, that's such a heart of pride. And we see that happen so frequently through Scripture, and I think it's a gradual slide that they took where they started to take their eyes off Jesus. Well, it, you know, it would have been God for them, but where we take our eyes off Jesus and His call on our lives, I think we start to have this gradual slide. And I was, was challenging my own life, and who knows when you have kids, your life changes, <clears throat> When I had kids, I really felt God just impressed it on me that these little people that I was going to have the privilege of raising were going to be my first church. My wife and my kids are my first church, my first priority. And if I am not hell-bent, if I can say that from the pulpit, on bringing my kids into the inheritance that God has for them, then God help me. Because I think then I'm not going to see what I want to see for my kids. Now, I might walk in my inheritance, but if I'm not focused on bringing my kids into that, then I'm not going to see them walk in their inheritance. And so it's that kind of thing that I've been seeing in Chronicles. You see bad king, good king. And I thought, Lord, why does that happen? And I want to highlight six things this morning out of Hezekiah's, the latter part of Hezekiah's reign I'm going to give you guys a bit of a background to where we're at in scripture because a lot has taken part place already. Hezekiah, the Bible tells us was a great king. He's likened, he's only one of four Judean kings after David that were likened to David. And so this guy was commended for his faithfulness. He he took down the Asherah poles and the high places. He destroyed sacred stones. He reestablished temple worship. He was doing a ton of good things. God was really working in him and he was commended for his faithfulness. Background to him is his dad was a guy by the name of Ahaz who was not doing any of those things. He had a terrible example for an earthly dad. His dad actually sacrificed some of his brothers. Hezekiah would not have been the first in line to the throne because some of his brothers were sacrificed to pagan gods that his father was worshiping. Another part of the prelude to the story is that Sennacherib was the, was the ruler of Assyria, and Assyria was the dominant world power in, in the Middle East in those days. They were just walking in and, and decimating nations. Um, historically, if you hear what they did to the people they conquered, it give you goosebumps and, and shudders. They were a terrible people, the same people that with jo- Jonah was sent to, right? And if you read through the stuff, you can see why Jonah hated them and didn't want to go to them. But I digress that the Assyrians and Sennacherib had just destroyed Israel. So the Judeans knew of this. Hezekiah was living in a time, <clears throat> excuse me, where the northern, northern kingdoms had fallen. They had been taken away into captivity. Um, Sennacherib had resettled Samaria, which was their capital. And, and he had heard what Sennacherib had done to the royals and the leaders in the northern tribe. And the, the the reality was that Sennacherib Cherub had now focused himself on Judah, just south of Israel. What we also, what we, what what then happened, sorry, I, I know it's a bit of a long intro, but I want to give you this because it's so important, I believe, is that Sennacherib Cherub marches on Jerusalem and he surrounds Jerusalem and he blasphemes God. He says, Who's gonna save you, Hezekiah? He says, No other people's God has been able to deliver them from my forces. And Hezekiah cries out to God and Isaiah comes to him and he says God is going to sort this out for you don't worry I'm paraphrasing and, um, and they go to bed and the next morning they wake up and you know what happened I don't know if you guys know this story but I think it's so cool 185,000 Assyrian commanders and soldiers are massacred by the angel of the Lord that night. And Sennacherib can't believe his eyes, and so he withdraws, and he actually ends up dying. He gets murdered by his sons. And God comes in a big way because Hezekiah put his eyes on God, right? He didn't need a race. There was not one bow strung. There was not one, uh, I want to say assegai because I'm African, but uh, spear thrown. God delivers. Judah because they turned their eyes to him right the other thing that I want to just give you guys is that Hezekiah then after that becomes sick and um, he develops a boil or some sort of septic disease and Isaiah comes to him and he says to him put your house in order because you're going to die and the Bible tells us that Isaiah turns and he walks out. And before he leaves the middle court of, um, of Hezekiah's court, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he says, God, he says, remember my faithfulness, how I have served you. Spare me. <laughs> what the heck's happening here? <laughs> um, he says, spare me. And God hears him. And God brings Isaiah back. And he says, you will be given another 15 years. And it is a miracle that spreads through the land that the Babylonians who weren't the power at that time send an envoy to come and hear about this miraculous work that took place in Judah. And so I'd like to turn to two kings. That's the prelude to where we're at now. And you see incredible things. You see Hezekiah turn to God on two instances in his life and God hears him and God delivers him. And I want to turn to 2 Kings 20 verses 12 to 19. If you'd listen to this, Read, read with me, please. At that time, Merodach-Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the messengers and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, and the fine oil, his armory, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace nor in his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say, and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon. The prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood that will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Listen to this part. He says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security? In my time, If we turn to 2 Chronicles, the same story, just in, the, in another book. 2 Chronicles 32, verses 27 to 31. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made treasuries for his silver and gold, and for his precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of valuables. He also made building to store, buildings to store the harvest of grain, new wine, and oil. And he made stalls for various kinds of cattle, and pens for the cl- flocks, He built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds, for God had given him very great riches. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook. But when the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. And so I'd like us to turn We see an incredible faithfulness, an incredible move on a king's life. He sees the move of God. And then the latter part of his reign, we see such a disappointment. When I read that, my heart sinks. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if somebody had to say that that to me, I'd be so disappointed if someone said to me, you know what, your inheritance is gonna be plundered by an enemy. Your children are gonna be taken off into captivity. Your sons are gonna become eunuchs. It breaks my heart to hear that. And I think that in reading that, I, I, I see six things, just jump out at me from scripture that I think were issues that had Hezekiah dealt with, God would have have, uh, staved that, or he would have seen his inheritance passed on to the next generation. And so the title of my preach this morning is, Heart Revealed and Heritage Lost. The first thing I believe we see here is pride. We see, we see an envoy come from a foreign nation and Hezekiah welcomes them in. And what does he do? He takes them throughout his kingdom, showing them everything, showing them his gold, his silver, his stores, his storehouses. He shows them his riches. And, and, if, you, and if you look in 2 Chronicles, they, they say that the Babylonian envoy actually came. I just want to make sure I'm not getting ahead of myself. Sorry. The Babylonian envoy actually came to find out about this miracle that had taken place. And, and I see, when I read that scripture, I don't think Hezekiah points back to God on one instance. I think he shows them what he's accumulated, his strength. And I believe that he was trusting in his own arm despite the fact that he'd seen a foreign army destroyed at the hand of God. He quickly forgets that and starts to trust in his own arm. They say that what the Babylonians, because they weren't the dominant force yet, they were trying to form an alliance with the Judeans to fight Assyria. And so, so Hezekiah was actually making some political moves to get more support, align himself with Babylon, trusting a foreign a foreign force, which they were never called to do when God put, took them into the promised land. They were called never to become unequally yoked with, with, with pagans. And this is what he started to do, right? And I think that all stemmed from pride. What can I do in my life to ensure that I am stronger, that I can hold on to what I have, that I'm not vulnerable? And I'd ask us today as a church, I am so guilty of this. I find when I'm preaching, when I'm, I, it's so hard to preach because I think God highlights things. You think, wow, I'm such a hypocrite in this. Like, Where am I trusting in my own arm? Where am I positioning myself politically, financially, with everything that God's given me? Where am I positioning myself to be self-reliant? And I think, guys, that what's so dangerous is that we can lose our inheritance based on decisions we make. But what makes me even more fearful is that my children will not receive their inheritance based on the decisions I make out of these things. And I think we see that so so clearly in Scripture with these kings, is that by not making the right decisions, by not dealing with pride in my life and becoming reliant on God, my provider, it's easy to say, believe you me, I'll say that to you all the time. He's my provider, I trust in Him. But tomorrow when I go back to work, I'm counting my dollars, I'm working on things, trying to figure out how I'm gonna make things so that I can get it done, how I can protect my family. When we've never been called to do that, we've always been called to be reliant on our God, right? The second thing I see out of this scripture, which I think is probably the most obvious thing, in 2 Kings 20 verse 19, I think selfishness is something that just exudes out of that, which is so sad for a king that had done so well. You know, um, he, says there, he, says there will, so he says, the word you have spoken is good. Will there not be peace and security in my time? Who cares about the next generation? I'm okay. We're okay right now. This is great. Canada's paradise. I love it. I come from a country... Where we're losing the cricket right now. Not that any of you care. Um, <laughs> but but we live. This is this is paradise. We live in a great place, right? And we can. And we. And I found in my life, I've slowly started to move along. I've slowly started to slide into a place of selfishness. Am I contending for my inheritance? What has God called for me to me? What has God called me to, and um, for my family? Am I selfish with regards? Am I selfish towards all of you? God's called me into a position of leadership in this church. Am I being selfish with my time, my resources, my efforts? Is it about me and my family? Or is it about what God's called me to? And what does that mean for me in this community, in this city, in the world? What's God stirring in our hearts that we've kind of put on the back burner because we're starting to become selfish? And I see that in Hezekiah's life. I mean, it's so obvious. He says, well, whatever. He says, that's great. I'm going to be okay. Some of my kids are going to become eunuchs and the rest of the nation is going to become a slave. But hey, I'm okay. I I think that should grieve us. That should wake us up. That should charge us as the people of God saying, we will not allow that to happen within our ranks. We are going to bring through the next generation by making changes. I'm going to make changes in my life that I'm not living selfishly, not living for Darren anymore. And Russ spoke about that, right? Being led by God that he's our focus, that he's the one we've been challenged to move on with. Okay, are you guys all there? It makes me nervous. The third thing I think, it, this, guys, I, like that's why I preluded everything. I said, like, it's a, this is a challenging word, and I and I and I've, and I know that, and it's a, and it's a Father's Day message too, right? But I really feel so passionate about this because I feel God pointing to these things in my heart, the adjustments that I need to make, and I believe that corporately, as a church, we need to make adjustments to the way we're doing things in order to bring through the rest to bring through the next generation, right? Complacency is the next thing I see. 2 Kings 20 verses 14 to 15, God, it says, had given Hezekiah everything that he had and he became so secure. He became self-secure. He started to look at his fighting men. He looked at his stores, his treasures. He trusted in his riches. He felt that he could buy off the Babylonian envoy, right? Look what I got. You you wanna help me fight the Assyrians? Look what I got. And he doesn't point back, right? He doesn't point to God. He, he, he was so complacent that he didn't even for a minute think that the very people he was inviting into his courts could potentially be the people that were going to take away his kingdom in a few years. And 140 years later, that's exactly what happened. The Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar marched in there and they took over everything. And that's exactly the words of Isaiah came, came to passing, right? And I feel... I feel. Have I become complacent in my in my walk with God? Have I forgotten what He's called me to? Because growing up in churches like this, relating to churches, it was I'm gonna I'm gonna plant, I'm gonna plant a church. I'm gonna do what God's got for me. There's a call on my life beyond medicine. Medicine is a tool for me, but there's a call beyond my occupation. There's a call beyond. Everybody has occupation for what God's got for your lives. He didn't call you to be sitting in an office every day and then and then do nothing about that. We are in the marketplace all the time. Complacency in terms of where God's taking us. I look at Russ and Glenn and Mike and Deb. Twenty two years ago, could have sat in South Africa. Life was very comfortable for them. They could have become complacent. This couple could sit here in Nanaimo, but there is a burning, there's a yearning in their hearts. God has a call on their lives. God has a call on their boys, and if they reject that call, I believe their boys will reject that call. And so what they're doing is an amazing thing, a church pond. They are going to blow open things in Edmonton. They're going to bring the kingdom of God to another city. And we have to see it that way. And I believe Hezekiah had become complacent. He was happy with his borders. He was happy with the, things, the way things were. And I believe that if Hezekiah had made these adjustments, who's to say that the Babylonian king and the Assyrian king wouldn't have become vassals of Judea if he had made, if he had made the right adjustments and not the other way. Around? around, right? He had been compl- complacent. He wasn't looking to extend the kingdom of God. He was just happy with what it was here. In South Africa, we had a president and he used to say, keep it here, keep it here, keep it here, keep it here, just keep it here. And, uh, and I believe that's like a Hezekiah mentality. It was keep it here, keep it here, keep it here, just for me, me and my family. And we're happy. Forget the rest of the world. We can live those kind of lives. Keep it here, keep it here. The accent good, Johan? Johan knows what I'm saying. Someone asked me uh, a couple of weeks back, would you ever move back to South Africa? And um, without even thinking about it, I said, man, God would have to ride it in the sky. And, and, and firstly, I believe that's because we are called to this nation, this beautiful place, Canada. We are called to be here to bring the kingdom of God to Canada. But I also felt that there's bit, but part of that is a complacency in my own life. I've become comfortable. And I thought, maybe not South Africa, but what if God called me somewhere else? Am I willing to sell my house and get rid of possessions. Am I mobile? Am I still a pilgrim at heart or have I become a settler? And I think that's something we need to be challenged on, guys. Like I have, I have settled. I love where I am. I don't want to give up what I have. I have a beautiful house. Marie and I came here 10 years ago now with two bags. Hers was a lot heavier than mine. I hope she is. Um, and $140 in our pockets, and we were content. We were here because we felt God had called us here, and I feel as God has blessed me, as God has enlarged my tent pegs, is that am I trading the call of God and my inheritance in him for this complacent, selfish, prideful life? The fourth thing I see is that Hezekiah allows the enemy access to everything. It blows my mind. He says nothing in my kingdom. They did. They, There's nothing in my kingdom that they did not see. And I think what I see in, for for well, what I see for my life in this is: Are we allowing the enemy access to our lives? Are we allowing the enemy access to our children's lives? That we don't. That we we're, we're so blindsided by that. And can I say, guys? I'm going to step on some of your toes because I know you don't agree with me. And I don't. And and I really feel this from the Lord. So please hear my heart. But. Can I say, just because you're over the age of 18 doesn't mean you can watch everything on Netflix. Very good. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, I, I, Marie and I sat watching. We sometimes try, we try and get into shows and watch series together. And I tell you, some of, I've never watched Game of Thrones. And if you're Game of Thrones, you, you love them and whatever, you let the Holy Spirit deal with you. I'm not pointing fingers, but can I tell you what? <laughs> Honestly. Honest to goodness, there are things that I watch. I love, I, love, um, I love historical documentaries, but there is a pervasive lust and sex and violence that's coming into TV that we allow ourselves to watch because I'm older than 18, so the world says I can do that. Guys, we've got we to contend. We're letting the enemy into our, into our inner courts. And can I say for our kids, I, yo, <laughs> for our kids, I, I am, I, I tell you, I have, I have become so lukewarm in what I let my kids watch. Do we watch what our kids watch before they watch it? Do we, there are Christian resources, um, who's Josh, uh, I'm trying to think, I <laughs> can't think of it now, but um, there are Christian resources out there where you can go just as easily on Google and say, Google this Christian perspective, get a perspective on movies that your kids are watching from Christians before you let your kids watch movies. Because I tell you, the devil comes as an angel of light. There are cartoons that my girls love to try and watch about magic and that kind of thing. And I tell you, those things might be subtle. You might think I'm a fool for saying this. But those are are, are subtle ways that the enemy comes in, creates doubt, and establishes fear in their hearts and get strongholds in them. And I think we need to contend for our kids on, those be- on that. And it's tough. Last night, my girls were like, oh, we want to watch, oh, woo, 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 I want to watch that. And I got to say, no, I'm not letting the enemy come in on this front. I'm contending for my kids because there is an inheritance on you that I want to see you walk in. And we need to get that, guys. social media. I mean, guys, the list goes on and it's not a pointing fingers because you know what I was going to say when Marie and I watch things, honestly, I can feel the Holy Spirit unsettling my spirit when I'm watching things that's not good for me. I know I don't have to have anybody preach to me that game of Thrones is not good for me. And I haven't watched it. I've heard, right? But I know I haven't, even, I haven't even looked at it because I know that I have weaknesses in the areas that are shown on that, on that show. And I want to protect. What we're filling our hearts with is what's going to come out. And I don't want to see me lose my inheritance. And I sure as heck don't want my kids to lose out on their inheritance. The fifth thing I see is that I don't see Hezekiah seeking God first when he invites the envoys in. Did you guys see that? It says the envoy came, he takes them around, he sends them home, and then who comes to him? Isaiah, who is God's prophet, God's representative, comes to Hezekiah. Hezekiah doesn't summon Isaiah and say, hey, do you think this is a good idea? Can you hear from God for me? Can we pray about this? It's after the fact, right? And I, And I'm so convicted in that in terms of decisions that that I make, decisions that we make, financial decisions, decisions about moves, your workplace, those kind of things. Are we taking that to God? Or are we making those decisions because in our human wisdom, it looks good? And then a couple of years later, months later, we're scrambling and everybody needs to pray for us and we need deliverance because we've allowed the enemy in without even asking God's input on it, right? Right? And I'm preaching to myself, man. I make decisions based on my finances and where I'm gonna go. Don't even look to God yet, right? We need to get back to that. And can I say something else? I think this is an incredible community with incredible leadership. And I think that's part of it. We seek God for his will for our life. That comes, sometimes we'll whisper in the ear. Sometimes that will come through scripture. Sometimes that will come through prophecies. But can I encourage us as a community when we're looking to make big changes in our lives, can I invite you to come to eldership and speak to us about things like that. And it's not a heavy... We don't want to control you. Believe you me, I don't want to control anybody else. I've got three kids that i got to lead. And, and not control, but kind of control. Um, <laughs> But can I say that, guys? I had a, we had a young couple come to us and ask us for our input. Do you know the incredible privilege and honor? That's not, they said, oh, we know you guys are busy. I said, are you kidding me? This is what I live for, to give you guys what, what biblical perspective, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me into your future, into your inheritance. And they came before us and they came to us, Marie and I, and they said, hey, we're struggling with this. These are financial issues. We, we're thinking about making a move in this direction. What do you guys feel? Man, I was blown away. That doesn't happen regularly enough. And it's not a prideful thing. We don't want to control you. Believe you me. It's I think that's a biblical principle. That's accountability in community, right? We should be laying things at the at at elders And, and sometimes we miss things. Can I be honest? I was told not to move to Canada. And, and the guys that told me that were honest enough to say they felt that for themselves, not a, not a message from God. And I hope that we're like that as an eldership, that we're open-handed with you. But come to us for perspective. And you do what God's telling you to do. We can't hear God for you, right? But we can certainly give you perspective. And this man didn't do that. He didn't go to Isaiah. He didn't go to God. He made decisions based on his own wisdom, right? I've got five minutes. Andy's giving me the evil eye here. <laughs> <clears throat> My sixth thing is, I think, I think, oh my goodness, my iPad just did something. Yeah. The sixth thing is, I, I, believe, I believe Hezekiah's uh, heart was revealed and where his treasure was at. I believe his treasure had become his kingdom and his material possessions and all the other things listed that he sh- showed the king of Babylon. I don't believe that God was his treasure at that point in his life. He doesn't, he doesn't point back, and we speak about that, and you guys might be getting tired of that, but he doesn't point back to God. He doesn't point back to Jesus. I mean, he wouldn't point back to Jesus, but are we pointing back to Jesus? Am I reveling in what everything that God's doing is because of Jesus, or is it because of Darren? Am I a self-made man? Because, man, I get into that place pretty regularly. I think about, look, at my mortgage, oh, I'm not doing too badly, you know? I might be, you know, we can maybe speed things up a bit here and da-da-da-da-da. i am not doing too badly. My self-made man, well, I point back to Jesus, my goodness, look what he has done. And he does that because he loves me, but he doesn't want me to get stuck down in that stuff. He wants me to take my inheritance, right? We look at Caleb, right? Who was, wasn't he like in his 80s? And he had already helped other guys take their inheritance. And he says, give me the hill country. We spoke about that at the conference, right? At the equip. Give me the hill country. I want my hill country. I'm not settling for another 30 years of the mediocre, mundane. What's God got for me? Is my hill country Haiti? Is my hill country the crisis pregnancy center? Is my hill country NCS? Where is God calling us as a community to usher in the kingdom, to take your inheritance? Because I tell you what, our inheritance, I felt that while Russ was talking, our inheritance doesn't look like what we think our inheritance looks like. I, I'm, I know that for a fact because I've seen things change in my life very dramatically in the past few years. And my inheritance doesn't look like what I thought my inheritance looked like. But I can tell you one thing. That the inheritance that he has for me is where I will be living my life in fullness. And I'm afraid of that because that's uncomfortable. I'm honest, guys. I'm afraid of what my inheritance looks like for me and my family. But I know that that's the best place to be is where he's got me. I'm going to conclude we I, I think we just like I for me, I want these truths to just sail in my heart, and like just I don't know what the word is. What do you need to right? Just need at you, man. Like, I think God, the Holy Spirit will be highlighting things in your life. Maybe not all six. Maybe not even one. But there are some of us that need to hear this word this morning. There are things in our hearts. I know there are things in my heart that have got to change. It's got to result in a change, right? Otherwise, I'm not going to see my inheritance or, my, or the next generation's inheritance. And can I expand that beyond my own kids? Your kids' inheritance. I love 180 because we are contending for their inheritance, We can talk about that. We can say glibly, oh Lord, won't you pour out? Won't you just prophetic words? And da 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 da. Sometimes we pray that. I felt God say to me, I pray those prayers. I felt God say to me, are you, you, have you lost your mind? Like we can pray those things, but we're not doing any of the training or the establishing or the challenging in our kids' life that need to take place on a Monday to Saturday. Then we come here, we put them in there, put them in the Christian school and expect the Holy Spirit to do this miraculous thing that they'll bring about the inheritance. That's not how it works. We are responsible for bringing them into the inheritance by fixing stuff in our lives by his power so that we can bring them through I'm so challenged in talking to my kids in an adult way and not dumbing everything down to them I said to my girls this morning what have you heard this week that you should be bringing to the meeting in 180 what have you heard that you should be bringing to us corporately why can't our kids come to prayer meetings on a Sunday morning are we giving our kids opportunity to preach uh, preach yeah that too maybe but um, <laughs> to pray hey like that excites me guys I don't know about you I know this is a heavy word but I hope it's an exciting word because as we start to do this we're going to see the next kingdom man Samuel was 12 and God came and gave him a heavy 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 word for Eli and his sons a heavy word he was 12 my son's 9 he's got 3 years to get to that place right I've, I, there's, we, like, are we living that way? Are we depositing in our kids during the week? Do we read the Bible to them? Do we protect them from 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 things? Are we letting the enemy walk and have his way in our families? Do we do we discuss things? Do we have dinner together around a table where we can have dialogue? We're sitting in front of the magic box that's feeding us, and I, like I'm not having a. I, I know that can come across heavy, but hear my heart in that, guys. We need to be investing in them so that they can. Outstrip us; that they can run way further than that. I hope Tristan's 14 and preaching here. I'd love to see that. Or my girls. I'd love to see them walking in way more than what God's ever got intended for me. And I hope so because that's my call. And I don't get held up on what's their inheritance and what's my inheritance. I'm taking my inheritance and they're coming along with me so that they can overtake me and take their inheritance, right? Can I finish with one thing? I, I really felt God just bring this to me at, at night. So what happens is the Babylonians come in they make slaves out of, the, out of the Judeans and they carry them off to Babylon, right? And you know what? The other thing I, that just stuck out to me is the leadership in Judea became, were, made, were turned into eunuchs. And I just thought from a, from, a, from, a, from a spiritual, if we look at that through spiritual eyes, what does that mean for us if our children become eunuchs? And I looked up the meaning of eunuchs and one of the, one of the, one of the meanings for eunuchs is an ineffectual person. They were talking about that in political realms. Political eunuchs are ineffective people. And I thought, wow, God, I'm going I'm to contend for my kids and I'm going to contend for your kids as best as I can to help stop them from becoming ineffective Christians, that they can take the hill country that God's got for them. Thank you for your time, guys.
1: Thanks, Darren. Good job, man. Just he was preaching there, it's such a, such a bold message, such a, like he says, a hard-hitting message where, you know, we're men, we're leading, this applies not just to the men, but, I mean, particularly the men, this message, but we're all called to lead, we're all called to pour out. I just felt God highlight um, just that he helps us in this as well. Uh, uh, just reminded of uh, in John 14, where Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit. Jesus starts off by uh, talking about commandments, what he's commanded us to do, and then he tells who's going to come and help you with it. So he says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's kind of the message we're hearing today. If you keep his commandments, keep it, let's lead, let's do this well. And then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, because Jesus is going away, to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and and will be in you. And just to encourage you this morning, that's an amazing message from Darren. But if you're a father here this morning, I know it's a privilege, like Darren says, to walk this out with guys. We don't always do this well. And if you're at a space right now, we're just going to hear some amazing testimonies. So it's going to be a really uplifting morning. But if you're at a place where you're feeling like you're not doing this well, come speak to us. Come chat to us. And we're going to point you to the Holy Spirit. We're going to point you to the helper that Jesus has given us. Um, to help us with all of this, okay? So be encouraged, Lord God. Let's just just pray as we uh, close out the message. Lord God, we thank you for your commands. Lord, we thank you that we do love you, Lord God. And our heart is that we want to follow your commands, Lord God. We want to lead well. We want to lift up the next generation, Lord God. But we declare that... That if we, we know that if we follow you, you're going, to be, you're going to bless us in that, Lord God, but we know that we need help, Lord Jesus. So we just ask for every man here, for every parent here, for every person who's leading in some way, Lord God, that you would just descend your Holy Spirit onto us, Lord God, that it's not by our might, it's by your might, and you have sent us a helper. Just, just, you said it was better that you go so that the Holy Spirit could be with us, and Lord, we believe that. We believe that the, the, the Holy Spirit helps us. He's present with us. He's, a, he's a physically with us us, Lord God. And Lord, we just thank you. And I pray that we would just hear the Holy Spirit in this this next season for us as men and leaders, Lord God. Amen. Thanks, Darren. Good job, man. Seriously.